This is the MedTech True Quality Stories podcast. Each week, we embark on a new storytelling journey with different MedTech executives as they share real-world, actionable best practices for medical device leaders. You'll gain invaluable insights into how these industry pioneers are successfully imagining, implementing, and improving true quality medical devices. Now here's your host, John Spear, founder and vice president of quality assurance and regulatory affairs at Greenlight Guru. If you've consumed any content from Greenlight Guru, watched any or participated in any of our webinars, either on demand or at the time that they're happening, um, you probably are familiar with this FDA case for quality initiative, the medical device discovery appraisal program. Uh, really exciting program uh, that that you know it's still early stages as far as its rollout across the entire industry, but the the benefits of this program are starting to pay a lot of dividends for the patients who are ultimately receiving these products, let alone the companies and how they're operating better businesses in the process as well. I was fortunate enough to uh, cross paths with Becky Fitzgerald a few weeks back at one of our True Quality Roadshows in Minneapolis. Um, Becky is a principal and co-founder of Two Harbors Consulting. And when I was talking to her, I, I knew that she was involved with Case for Quality, but I had no idea that she was one of the, the founding members, so to speak, of the initiative. I mean, she was there at the very beginning of its rollout as we know it today. So had a chance to catch up with Becky on uh, this episode of MedTech True Quality Stories. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to MedTech True Quality Stories. This is your host, founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And I'm pretty excited about this one. I've been a fan of Case for Quality from FDA and the Medical Device Discovery Appraisal Program now for quite some time. And one of the reasons, frankly, is I think it's a, a really fresh and refreshing way to really look at the health of companies uh, you know, the, those companies that are making life-saving, life-sustaining technologies, I think it's just really a f- fresh approach. And I was fortunate, well, I've been fortunate enough for a while to to know the folks at Two Harbors Consulting. And I was fortunate to actually get a chance to meet Becky Fitzgerald. Becky is a principal and one of the co-founders at Two Harbors Consulting. And she and I met in Minneapolis at a recent Greenlight Guru True Quality Roadshow. So Becky, welcome to the MedTech True Quality Stories. Well, thank you very much, John. And when you and I chatted, I learned some things about the case for quality that, that I didn't know. I, I kind of learned the origin story, and I was really fascinated by it. And I was hoping you and I can, can talk about that today. You know, how did this all come to be? You know, how did you get involved in all of this? So give us a little bit of background about what you do and, and Two Harbors Consulting, but then let's dive uh, a little bit deeper into case for quality and, and how it came to be. Absolutely, certainly. So I work for Two Harbors Consulting, and I'm also a lead appraiser in the Medical Device Discovery Appraisal Program, just as a little bit of background on me. And then jumping really to the case for quality, um, what happened uh, back around 2015 was that um, Jeff Sheeran, who is head of CDRH, um, that is the Center for Devices and Radiological Health, he um, recognized, uh, along with the FDA, that there is an issue with uh, auditing, just auditing. They were, they were finding that medical device organizations were compliant, you know, fully compliant with the regs, with the regulations, 
but that some of the organizations that were fully compliant were um, producing, you know, having more problems with their medical devices than other organizations that maybe weren't fully compliant and were producing high quality medical devices. And so they were trying to understand what they could do to help organizations get to the next level of quality or to understand it without trying to regulate more because more regulation would again raise the bar to that level of compliance and compliance wasn't keeping up with new technologies and new market space advances. So they looked around and they were trying to find a model that would work for understanding organizational quality. And they had at that time Deloitte. Deloitte researched all of the available or what they could find of the available quality models and methods. And this is back again around 2015. Um, And they called me. I was interviewed. At that time, I worked for a very large organization, a healthcare organization, that was leveraging a model called CMMI, Capability Maturity Model Integrated. Uh, integration that was used um, by that organization to understand how the various business units, research and development organizations were operating and how the various quality um, was represented across the organization, which organizations were uh, more capable, which business units were more capable than others. And what happened in that interview process was they uh, asked, hey, can we use, does this model apply at all to the medical device devices um, community, industry? And I said, well, sure. I mean, we've been using it for about a dozen years or more in that industry. So pretty sure it will apply. They evaluated all the other models and decided that the capability maturity model integration was the best for a variety of reasons. It's out there on the site. You can see that research paper. It's fascinating. And how they arrived at making their conclusion that, hey, the capability and maturity model integration model is the model and the appraisal method is the method that will be most effective for understanding the industry quality stories. That is what's going on, actually, the capabilities of the various organizations in the medical device industry. And if you use this, then we can learn about these organizations in a way that goes sort of beyond compliance, which is your table stakes. It's your basic requirements. I mean, it's pretty fascinating because the the FDA research that's sort of led to case for quality, it's my understanding that started or that was conducted back in like 2011, if I remember correctly, right? Oh, yeah. The, the beginning. Yeah. But the yeah. paper, sorry, was issued in 2015. Yeah. So, you know, the data was collected, analyzed, and it was kind of sitting there. And, and it's kind of interesting, you know, here we are eight years after that initial data and and, you know, the case for quality initiative is, is still, you know, building some momentum. So you know, we still have a ways to go. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that and what folks might be able to do to kind of jumpstart this within their own organizations here in a few moments. But um, how did they single you out? I mean, how did they know, hey, we got to talk to Becky Fitzgerald? I mean, where, were you on the radar screen in some good way or how did, how did that happen? Well, yeah, that's really interesting. So there was a a representative of the CMMI Institute who was working with uh, the FDA at that time who gave my name as a a representative of the industry 
there weren't, there were not at that time a whole lot of medical device organizations using CMMI. So we were sort of a small sample set to pick from who could we go to to find out how it actually works in the field, which is how they identified me. I was one of a, a member of a kind of a small club, if you will. And then working with me as a lead appraiser, because I was already a lead appraiser working in the medical devices industry, they asked me if I could help them prove this hypothesis. You know, they had the, the hypothesis that this model, this method would work and it could add value and it would be that organizations would value it and benefit from it. And so we had to do a proof of concept and that proof of concept came about through the Medical Devices Innovation Consortium. So MDIC, Medical Devices Innovation Consortium, is one of the um, entities that brings together, it's the safe space between FDA and the medical devices industry and the CMMI appraisal, the CMMI Institute. So it was a mechanism to bring these three stakeholders together to discuss, hey, how can we... Uh, leverage the model, practically speaking, in industry and designed a proof of concept and identified three different larger, a large organization, a medium organization and a small organization stepped up and said, hey, okay, we'll go first and you can come into our organization and we'll make it an open door. Uh, FDA can listen in and uh, other medical device entities can listen in. We'll just um, allow sort of uh, big brother, if you will, to pay it to, to watch this in action to see if it will work in this industry. And what came out of it was that it, it was very effective for all three organizations. So it moved forward into this pilot program, this medical devices discovery appraisal program came out of those initial efforts. All right. So you did the pilot. You had uh, you know representation of shape and size of company, and that really formed, I, I would assume, the program that we know of as today. And I guess I want to talk a little bit about the traditional FDA inspection, and I think a, a fear that a lot of companies have. And I got to imagine that that even as you started to roll out the pilot in, in a, a much bigger fashion beyond that initial sort of that beta test, if you will that there was probably a lot of skepticism, you know, oh, this just feels like a, a way for FDA to get our information. I mean, talk a little bit about that and maybe how, how some companies have been maybe a little skeptical and versus those that have maybe embraced the model a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, and I would say all, <laughs> I would say all organizations come into the appraisal program um, with skepticism. And I think that's healthy. You ought to be a bit skeptical, right? Uh, there's some history there in working with the FDA and in working across industry, where a medical device organization it could have it could be a little bit hesitant. It's like, hey, we're we're opening our doors to you. You're coming into our environment. You're talking to the people who are actually doing the work, listening for how we do the work beyond anything that's actually regulatorily governed. So you have the QMS system, you have your regulatorily driven practices that you have in place, but there's so many more business practices and capabilities in the organization that impact the quality of the product coming through the organization. That to separate the two, you don't get this holistic view. The model comes in, the appraiser comes in and discusses with the organization 
how the process will work. That is, we're going to come in and we're going to have conversations with the people who are doing the work, asking them how they do their work in a structured way. So we're listening for things against the model or the framework so that we can reflect this back to the organization and then the parties who participated in providing the information and describing how they do their work, they validate and they listen to what we thought we heard and reflect back, yes, that's accurate, you got it. Or, you know, I think you missed something that we were trying to say here or something that we actually doing a little bit differently, you misunderstood us. And it's that process of reflection and correction, I guess I would call it, that arrives at a set of results that are valuable to the business because they're hearing, this medical device organization is hearing the things that are impacting their quality from the very people who are executing the work. And you contrast that with an audit where you have a front of the room, back of the room activity. You might have a couple of people who are allowed to speak to the FDA. You've got a back room. There might be you know, 70 or 80 people in that back room digging through documents and pulling up information. And the person having the conversation with the FDA, they are answering the question exactly with no additional information offered. They're pushing paper across the desk or showing the system to FDA, hey, this is how we do it. But it's very much a controlled exchange of specific information that that covers just the quality management system, just the things that are regulated. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking about that, a couple of thoughts came to mind. It's like the appraisal model is is really a couple of things that, that stuck with me is it's really uh, an, a more effective way to communicate, communicate, implying there's there's two way dialogue. Uh, there's right. sort of a, a discovery piece of that. It sounds like there's a lot of active listening that's involved with that. Whereas the traditional FDA uh, inspection activity, it's not, I wouldn't call it communication. It is, well, uh, it's a little, it feels a little bit like being on the receiving end, sometimes like an interrogation. To your point, you're, uh, typically you're not volunteering extra information. You're answering the exact question that was asked, no less, no more. And you're demonstrating that by producing some sort of document or some sort of record. And I didn't hear you use the word document or record in the appraisal process. Uh, Why not? Well, that's because in the um, discovery appraisal process, it's focused on the conversations with the people. So the intent, if you think about the difference in objectives between the two activities, you know, an audit is really trying to, a compliance, an FDA audit, is trying to discover where you're not meeting regs. An appraisal process, an appraisal itself, is trying to reflect to the organization the things that it could do better for it to better operate as an organization, to become more capable. Um, So your goals are different. In an audit, you want to have nothing come out of that audit. You want it to come clean, right? You want to leave the audit with no results (laughs) in an appraisal. The value of the appraisal is your own organization is looking at itself, talking about itself, and reflecting to itself the very things that are working well or that are challenging, that are getting in the way of getting the work done the best way possible or getting in the way of becoming more capable, uh, more able to do that work. And so the value is higher the more you uncover because 
you can address those things and that will make you a better organization, operate at a better uh, level. And here's the thing, because I can almost I can almost anticipate anyone listening, wondering, well, okay, so what kind of score do you have to get or what do I have to do in order to get the benefits that I receive by being a participant in this appraisal program? And we haven't talked about the benefits of being in the program yet. But one of the elements that is unique about the medical device discovery appraisal program is once an organization chooses, it's a voluntary program, once an organization chooses to participate in MDDAP, they receive the same benefits that the organizations that are participating in MDDAP are are receiving. In other words, if you engage, if you enroll in the program, engage in the program, go through the appraisal process, leverage the outcome of the appraisal for your own gains, and you go through the checkpoints. So there's every 90 days or so, there's a phone call that takes place. It can be an in-person checkpoint, but it's typically a call where you discuss what's changed, what's new, and then you go to the next checkpoint. So there's checkpoints engagement and then the annual appraisal. That engagement level will then get benefits for you as a participant by being waived, having routine inspections waived, for example, being able to bundle changes. So what, what the FDA discovered was that medical device organizations were not making changes, changes that would help them make higher quality product, help them in the production of the product, make the um, product easier to make, in other words, which will impact the quality of the product. They weren't making changes because to make a change was such an onerous process and it took such a time commitment that these organizations would make at most um, between four and maybe a dozen or a few dozen changes a year at most. That's all they could get through the process itself of filing for a change. Participants in the appraisal program bundle their changes together so that now they're actually making changes they wouldn't even have considered before because they had to prioritize. And the priority of the changes, if you're only making four changes a year, things that make the um, product easier to produce, easier to make, more effectively make the product, those changes aren't um, aren't going to be adopted because you'll make functional or feature changes that are required rather than these other changes that are considered lesser by some, but practically speaking, will result in higher quality. Folks, I want to remind you, I'm talking to Becky Fitzgerald. Becky is principal and co-founder of Two Harbors Consulting. Uh, The easiest way I find their website is 2hc.com. It'll redirect you to their full website. You can read their blog and and everything about Becky and her other co-founders. Really fantastic organization. Uh, I've had a chance to get to know one of her partners, uh, George Zach, uh, a little bit over the past uh, year or so. So really great organization. These are passionate people who really love quality. And I want to talk a little bit about quality before we get back to the conversation with Becky about the appraisal program. Why I wanted her on this episode of MedTech True Quality Stories. Quality, I think over the past... I don't know. I've been in the in the med device industry for over 20 years, and it, and it seems like quality is 
lost its heading, lost its purpose within a lot of companies. It's almost become an impediment to getting things done. You know, the, the quality function is often looked at by other functional groups as the people who get in their way. And, and that really uh, is, is unfortunate. And we have gotten into a, a rhythm, I suppose, not necessarily in a good way in the medical device industry where we're so checkboxed, we're so compliance oriented that uh, I think sometimes we forget, not on purpose, but we do forget that at the end of the day, it's about the patients receiving our products. And, and a lot of the systems that we put in place, a lot of the regulations that we feel we have to follow and comply with, uh, we, we use those as a crutch and an excuse for, for not doing things that are best for patient. And that's why, to me, this Case for Quality initiative is fantastic because it puts the emphasis on quality and continuous improvement and always measuring yourself against yourself in a way that's healthy for your products, for your processes, and, and healthy for your business. So you, you should definitely check that out. One of the things that we do at Greenlight Guru is, of course, we have an EQMS software platform designed specifically for the medical device industry, exclusively by actual medical device professionals. So all the things that Becky and I are talking about today, all the things you need from a quality management system perspective as a medical device company, that compliance element is built into the workflows. And we allow you to actually focus on true quality and focus on what's best for patient. So Becky, uh, the CMMI model, I mean, this is, um, this is a model that, that has been around for a really long time. I did a little bit of research on this, and I think it started like back in the, the 70s or something like that, right? Yes, yes. So it was originally came out of a hypothesis from Carnegie Mellon University working with the Department of Defense, who was having a problem with software not being software projects, not being predictable at all. So it, there was this uh, why, why would the same group that had this successful software project turn around and have a software, uh, software project fail? And why would uh, another group always be successful? What's going on there? And the hypothesis they had was, hey, can we figure out, is there a way to predict whether or not a project will succeed? They studied thousands of projects, and naturally, the processes are going to be different. So the, the way that people do their work, their processes, are going to depend on the market space and the technology and the individuals executing the work. But the attributes of the work, those attributes, actually, they found a set that, when present, predict uh, success. So they predict that a project will be more likely to succeed. What happens then is um, they gathered these uh, practices, they call them, together into functionally related groupings. And these functionally related groupings were then gathered into this model. So this capability maturity model, the early days, it was CMM, and then it became CMMI, integration. It's evolved over the years and improved over the years as you would want it to. It's self-improving as well. And so now we have a set of practices and there are things like, are you involving people at the right time, stakeholders at the right time in the way that you're doing your work? Are the right people involved at the right time to have uh, the work be successful? That's an example of a practice, right? And so that's, uh, those practices gathered together then are what make up the model which is what we're using in the appraisal program. 
So I, I would imagine that there has been some adaptation to address the medical device industry. I, I mean, has that been a, just simply a terminology thing or how has that model been adapted to, to fit the, the med device space? Oh, very interesting question because medical device industry naturally felt that it was a unique industry that would, of course, require uniqueness in the model itself. Yeah, and we're snowflakes, Becky, don't you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you're capable, if you're capable at project management, if you're capable managing projects, you're capable at managing projects within any of the industries that you are working in. That capability of estimating or that capability of planning those, uh, we're going to be able to assess those activities in any industry. Now, what was adapted specifically for the medical devices industry? Remember, we have stakeholders, Medical Device Innovation Consortium, FDA, and industry itself, and CMMI. Those four stakeholders came together to identify what are the things that we need to include in this program for all participants to meet the objectives of the program, which is to improve quality over time in industry, to improve uh, quality for patient care, right? So those stakeholders came together, and that's how we ended up with, uh, with the appraisal with some of the tailoring. And I'll just walk through a little bit of the tailoring that's a little different than is absolutely required by the evaluation style appraisal, the generic uh, vanilla method of appraising. So the model did not change, but the method of appraising, we've tailored it in a few areas. Uh, I'm happy to go into them if you're interested. Let's maybe pick uh, one area that you think you might resonate with the folks. Okay. One of the requirements we have is that uh, every time we go into an organization on the appraisal team itself, there must be both a lead appraiser and a team member who is experienced in medical devices. So an organization will never have an appraisal conducted by individuals who have no background in medical device, in the medical device industry, for example. Okay, makes good sense. And folks, there's a lot more you can learn about this. Uh, we'll share a couple links with the text that accompanies the podcast, some places you can you know, learn more information. We'll send you uh, to uh, Two Harbors Consulting site as well, where you can read a little bit more about that. Uh, Becky, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about, you know, fill the gap from when FDA first contacted you in 2015 time and, and, uh, and you know, going through that initial beta and then actually bring folks forward to, to the pilot that uh, I guess round one, I guess, I don't know if that's the right way to, to describe it, but the first year of the formal pilot happening last year, and, and now we're um, about a little over midway through the second year of the pilot program. Talk a little bit about what you've learned or what's been, I guess, exciting or encouraging about the pilot program so far. It's been really, really exciting. Um, uh, FDA was unsure, uh, just like industry was unsure what was going to come out of this program, what would be the benefits or what wasn't being exchanged, what was not experienced by FDA before that they would understand better now. And what's happened is there's been a real breakthrough in some specific areas. So one of the things you asked about was, hey, you talked about documentation. We don't have to see a bunch of documents when we go into an organization. We have these 
conversations with the organization itself. Um, during these conversations, looking at the whole system, that is the organization holistically, organizations tend to box off QMS. So they almost bring uh, build a brick wall around the processes, uh, the activities that happen within the QMS system. So they have the QMS way of doing things and then the other business processes that they're executing, the other work that they do, that's different, that's separate, that's not considered part <laughs> of what gets evaluated yeah, typically. True. Right? These other things have a direct, well, indirect, we'll call it, impact on quality. And I'll give you an example. Things like what was discovered by um, industry and FDA both, neither knew, understood this, was that industry in general, so broad brush here, in general, medical device industry does a poor job of estimating their work. They, they're um, less capable in project management, and they're not necessarily effective at managing changes to, I'll call them non-functional requirements, the sorts of requirements that don't live in your QMS system necessarily, but things like we need to be able to create a thousand of units um, an hour. Or we need this line to be modular because we're a medical device manufacturer and we need to change over quickly and we have to be able to do the change between medical device components within a certain period of time, right? Those kinds of requirements, managing changes to them as a, a unit, as an industry, medical device industry is not very good at managing those kinds of changes, not good at capturing them and sharing them effectively. And that was illuminating to both the medical device community and to FDA. Surprising. Uh, they didn't realize. I think if you ask your average medical device organization, they would say they're great at project management. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they would. And, and I'd have to just anecdotally agree and, and maybe throw myself under the bus. I mean, I think sometimes when I uh, put together project plans and, and get into the, the meat of managing the the tasks and activities that go that comprise a project. I mean, it's projects. They're very dynamic. Things change, and and uh, you know it it um, requires almost you know certain discipline. People who are focused on that. I mean, I I know before I started Greenlight Guru, I was largely that was my role was project manager for a lot of startup companies, and that was pretty much all I did uh, because right. it's so important and it's, everything's so fluid, and you know you cut some tooling and you get first articles and you realize, oh my, we have to, we have to change something or we didn't factor in that or we, ha we have to adjust for this or we have another test that we have to do or, or what have you. So yeah, project management is probably uh, something that, that doesn't get the emphasis that it should in, in any medical device company, frankly. Absolutely. And that impacts quality because if your projects aren't coming in on time or if you're not able, you know, you're not able to um, predict, it's that, that predictability, that consistency, that is very important for yeah. quality because what happens when a project gets squeezed, when you get uh, squeezed yeah. for time, where does it get squeezed? What gets caught uh, away? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's those are the very things that do, in fact, impact quality, but don't they don't get recognized per se by those outside, even those inside industry. Honestly, 
Um, the, it, it's a pretty direct link when you think about it that way. It feels indirect to the participants. So at the um, first year of the pilot, I don't remember the exact number of companies that participated. I want to say it was somewhere around 40. Do you you recall? You probably know the number off the top of your head. Oh, you know what? I think it's at 44 now. 44, okay. I'm, I'm, forgive me. Right. I'm, I'm no, no, that's there. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's an estimate on my part. But yes. Um, and those are facilities, right? Yeah. Um, that participated and and some in some cases we looked across a value stream across multiple um, sites for an appraisal because that was meeting the objectives of the sponsor of the appraisal they wanted to understand their handoffs a little bit better which is again another area that there's a lot uh, that has been learned and is being learned about how handoffs in the medical devices industry are handled um, when you build that brick wall around your QMS and you narrowly define what a requirement is, if you just say it falls within you know, the product uh, spec, if you will, well, then that sets you up a little bit for an over-the-wall kind of behavior that can happen in practice that can impact, uh, in, uh, impact quality at the end of the day. Um, if you can look at it more holistically, open your arms a little wider and include a few more stakeholders in at different points in the way that you do your work, the end result will be a higher quality product and it will be delivered more frequently on time and with a consistency. Um, and that's, that's some of the benefits we're already seeing the participants in the program reflect back to us. Yeah, I mean, it. in theory, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be the resident skeptic here for a moment. In theory, mm -hmm. Becky, this sounds this sounds wonderful. Uh, but, you know, do you have any anecdotes or, or tidbits or things that you can share? And, and uh, I'll start with one that I've heard you and, and George talk a lot about. And it, it's a little still vague, folks, but, but bear with me. The the um, you, and you talked briefly about it a moment ago about uh, in a non uh, appraisal model approach, you know, a standard, I'll say, compliance based um, methodology or, or ways that a company may approach their quality system and design changes and things like that. If you have like a class three product, PMA device, and you need to make a change for it. The regulations are daunting in many cases. You know, you, there's a it's a long, lengthy process. It's it is a disincentive to make changes. And I've heard right. you and George talk about. I'm sure it's happened multiple times, but I remember one case in particular that that some of those those barriers, uh, those obstacles, as these companies are participating in the appraisal program, are are removed in many respects or certainly reduced. And engineers and, and people were, were bringing changes to devices that they might not otherwise have brought. Can you maybe elaborate on that? Absolutely. And we've heard that from more than one of these organizations. That is a, actually kind of a common theme. And it's a, that was, again, a surprise to both FDA and to the medical devices community. They didn't realize that their very people, the very people who are executing the work, were not bothering to even make suggestions of improvements because they knew that, or they supposed that any suggestion that they had, any idea that they had, their experience was it wouldn't receive any attention because there were so, again, as you mentioned, the change process was so onerous, they wouldn't even bother to bring the idea to the table. 
wasn't worth it. It was demotivating for them <laughs> to have this great idea, raise it, and then have it shot down as well. No, because we only have four and we've already picked our four for the year, the changes we can make, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so what they're finding in practice now is they're getting a, a wealth of ideas, uh, flooding is not an overstatement, uh, of ideas from people who are directly working with these products, with uh, building the products and the components and the processes themselves in how to make it better in dramatic ways, some of them, and in some of the improvements are such minor things, just such minor requests, but the impact of the minor request is dramatic to the individuals who are doing the work. So these changes now get bundled and um, included, and then you build this momentum of input. So once a person feels heard, that's I think one of the other benefits that isn't immediately intuitive is that when you're asking for input from the people who are doing the work and they provide that input to you, and you listen to them and make changes based on that input, you have now developed a momentum for your quality uh, as an organization, for your, for your approach to quality as the organization, because you have their buy-in, you've met a commitment to them um, that then builds uh, year over year and month over month, more and more of an engagement from your whole employee staff source, I mean, from everyone engaged in the process. I mean, it's encouraging because I've, I've talked to way too many medical device professionals over the past few years who have been, who are becoming increasingly disenfranchised um, by the work that they do right. uh, because you know of the barriers, because of the obstacles, because they have to fill out another form for this and another form yeah. for that. And then they have to throw it over the wall, wait for the regulator to chime in. And, and so when I heard these stories, I'm like, oh, this is, this is most definitely going to have a huge impact. The other thing that, that this has the most impact for are the patients receiving these products. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. the point. So the product will be made better, faster, um, with higher quality. And, and that get that into the hands of the patients. Have yeah. changes that are impactful. It's uh, absolutely, absolutely true. And, and that's, that's the benefit that we're going for. That's the purpose yeah. of the whole program. That's really cool. So folks listening, if they're interested in participating in the Case for Quality pilot, I'm, I'm sure there's still opportunities to do so, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and just as you asked, I realized I'm not sure that I have the link in front of me. Do you happen to have it, John? Uh, I'll sure find it. If, if uh, I'll, I'll get it and I'll get it to people where they can go and learn more and, and uh, inquire about participating. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We're welcoming. Um, I have to say that uh, not all uh, medical device organizations are, can participate in the program. There has to be a history of uh, high compliance that is um, a good regulatory history in order to be a participant in the program. Okay. So let's say I'm a company that, you know, maybe I'm a startup and I don't have any history of compliance uh -huh. with FDA, or maybe I have a history of some challenges with FDA. Are there things that I can do can do in the interim to maybe adopt some of this methodology internally 
you know, maybe I'm not an official member of the, the pilot program, but are there things that I can do to, to bring in some of these practices into my business? Oh, absolutely. So I, I encourage everyone to go to the, uh, to the link that you'll be providing, John, and, and make a request. So first of all, it's very important for the FDA and MDIC um, and industry to understand what the demand is, what the interest level is. So go ahead and make a request. Um, because we are evaluating, that's a um, part of the next step of the program, is to consider how do we include those organizations who either have a challenged uh, uh, regulatory history or who are startups, brand new, have no regulatory history. How do they take advantage of the program? And by filling in a request, you may be asked to participate in a pilot um, for exactly those activities. Now, if you are um, interested in something immediate, go to cmmiinstitute.com and take a look at the model and the framework. You can go out and explore the model itself by going to the Institute site and reading up on it, learning a little bit about it. And there's some uh, earlier versions of the model that you can take a look at also that are, that are available. I think you can find them. There's a site that uh, WIBAS.com that has version 1.3. So that's one revolution back. That's one version back of the model. You could go look there and explore a little bit about the um, some of the practices themselves and understand. I think once you see the practices themselves, the practice areas and the practices, it makes intuitive sense to you. And there's a planning area and there's a configuration management set of practices and um, there's um, requirements development and management practices. So you'll learn a little bit about the model, learn the a little bit about the appraisal method, but you can apply the practices yourselves by looking at them and understanding them a little bit. Take some time and understand the practices. It's a, a description of your capabilities. Yeah, and I'm guessing if folks have questions that you and the two harbors team are ready and available to help answer questions that folks may have as well. Absolutely. And we welcome, welcome any, any contact or any questions. Um, you can hear that I'm passionate about it. George is definitely passionate about it. Uh, Jim Shaver, Tom and Klein, for the four of us are more than happy to talk to anyone who has any questions about the program, about the model, about the method we use. Or even if you're a startup and you just want to understand how to best approach things, give us a ring. We're happy to help. So, Becky, as we kind of wrap up, I want to. I have one more question uh, that I wanted to throw your way and then open it up for anything that you think is important that uh, we might have missed or you want to dive deeper into. But the question I have is, as this case for quality and, and medical device discovery appraisal program begin to or continue to gain momentum and become more ubiquitous in the medical device industry, do you see this fully replacing the traditional FDA inspection? Oh, really good question. It's a little bit more. I think I think it's more like so. Once the the routine inspection, yes. Perhaps I do. Um, I will say that this is much like um, a TSA pre-check line, right? If you go through TSA, you still have to go through um, yeah. an inspection of some sort. It's just lesser or different than if you don't have TSA pre-check. It's a little bit more like that. So, of course, you have to still be compliant. You have to still meet 
regulatory requirements. Those things are absolutes. This is separate from, um, in addition to, and it's voluntary, but to get away from routine inspections, absolutely, that's part of the program today. Okay, I I thought of one other question before I uh, hand it off to you to, to wrap things up. The other question is, obviously, our conversation today has been about the FDA's involvement. Uh, I got to imagine that this sort of approach is irrespective of the regulatory model that a company is operating in. Like, for example, if a company is outside the United States and, and maybe they're ISO 13485 certified, that the principles of the medical device discovery appraisal program are still applicable, right? Absolutely. Absolutely right. they are. And, and we have been, we've, um, some of the sites that we go to are, are international sites. They are of American companies or U.S. companies. So they are a participant in the program with a remote site. So we have, in fact, been um, into these organizations and they definitely receive benefit from participating in the appraisal program um, in multiple uh, countries. All right, folks, I know we're just, we're, we really are just skimming the surface. I, I find this topic extremely fascinating. There's a lot of material out there. I'll try to curate some of that for you so uh, you can digest some of the, the cool and important and, and overview information. There's definitely an opportunity to dive deeper. But Becky, before we wrap up uh, this episode of MedTech True Quality Stories, uh, what what do we miss or what do you want to emphasize or what other areas of, of the program do you think is important for listeners to be aware of? Um, I think one of the things I didn't actually say outright is that what the FDA receives coming out. So when you participate in the program, not only do you get the outputs of the appraisal, so you get your results, which are detailed. Um, they are mapped to the practices as well. So you have detailed, actionable results that are uh, understandable to you in language that um, you've helped craft, right? That's great. And a heat map that is sort of a color map of... Um, current state of activities, your current capabilities relative to this model. What does FDA get? They get a summarized um, numeric. They don't get the details, every practice, every statement, all of the results. They don't get the detailed results, but they do get a high-level summary um, by practice area or by grouping of um, capability. And I know that the typical immediate concern is, well, then what your score is, in quotes, I'm putting uh, air quotes on, what your score is will matter to the FDA. And the very absolute utmost truth I will tell you is that if you participate in the program, you are participating in the program. You're engaged. You get all of the benefits of being engaged in the program, including and in addition to the value, the business value that comes out of actually having objective third-party reflection of your own organization, that to a person, to a participant in the program, and I'm happy to connect people to uh, participants, active participants, if you want to talk to others. That's um, It's a huge benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, I want to thank uh, my guest, Becky Fitzgerald. Becky is, again, principal and co-founder of Two Harbors Consulting. Uh, she's you know, one of the, the pioneers in the 
Case for Quality Medical Device Discovery Appraisal Program. Uh, she's a lead appraiser of the CMMI model. She knows her stuff. And folks, uh, regardless if you enroll in the program or not, I would encourage you, especially if you're tired of just checking boxes on forms and being just compliance oriented, to, to sh elevate your game, elevate your company, elevate your business and, and shift to focus on true quality. Because in the end, the products and the processes that result in those devices getting to patients is going to improve. It's going to ensure that the patient receiving your product and technology is going to get the highest quality product possible. So if you care about that, then you should definitely do your homework and focus on improving your business and your quality across the board. So as always, this is your host, founder and VP of quality and regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And you have been listening to MedTech True Quality Stories.